Hey guys, just a note about this episode. I've got the worst hay fever, so I'm sorry if I sound clogged up. That's all. January 2nd, 2016. 21-year-old American tourist Otto Warmbier is arrested in North Korea. After being sentenced to 15 years hard labour, Otto is not heard from again. In 2017, Otto is returned to the USA in a vegetative state. He died just days later. How did Otto end up like this? Was he tortured? Did he commit suicide? This is the story of Otto Warmbier's imprisonment in North Korea. Sources for these episodes include DW Documentary, GQ Magazine, The South China Morning Post, Fox News and PBS. Hi guys. Welcome back to episode 62 of Unknown Passage, a podcast that tells the stories of those who have gone missing or been murdered abroad. This is going to be part one, and I wasn't going to record this for a few days, but I've got so much research in this particular case that I've done that I need to split it up. So I'm just going to record the first part now for you guys. So before I get into this week's case, which is very, very disturbing, I want to read an email that on the last episode I asked, I said about Fintan emailing um, new patron with a story of his, how he found the podcast. Um, and I emailed him back saying, can I read this? So I wanted to wait until he said that I could. So Fintan emailed me and he has been living in Japan. I haven't actually asked where he's from, but I'm guessing you know, he's from maybe America. Um, And he's been living in Japan for a while, especially during this COVID thing. And he stumbled across my podcast in relation to a case um, that I covered way back. I think it's episode eight, the case of Tiffany Varon, who was a French woman who I have contact with her sister, um, who went missing when she was visiting Japan, which is one of the safest countries on earth. She went missing in a little town, well, kind of a city called Nikko. So I'm just going to read you Fintan's email. Hello, Felicity. I just discovered your excellent podcast a few days ago and listened to the Tiffany Varon episode yesterday. I'm actually living in Japan now until next month and visited Nico where she went missing in September. I came across her missing poster in the window, attached of the place I was staying and didn't pay too much attention till I saw it on a notice board later that day and made a mental note to check her case later that day. After stopping by a convenience store on my way to my room, I got up, I got back and read up on the case. Q actual chills up my spine as it turned out I was actually staying exactly where she was and added to that, one of her last photos was the CCTV of the convenience store I had just been to. You can see for yourself it's the one with the distinctive triangle step outside. Needless to say, I was pretty spooked out, especially as the guest house was very quiet because currently there are no foreign tourists allowed in Japan because of the pandemic. Nikko itself is beautiful, but dead at night. I visited midweek in early September and most things closed at sunset, so it was a bit of a struggle to find places to eat. It was so quiet that I was a little nervous given what had happened. Plus, I'd spent the year binging true crime podcasts. A note about the Turtle Inn. It's a little away from the main street of Nikko and it is positioned along a river in a very quiet and secluded neighbourhood. It's very popular with foreigners and while I would never suspect any involvement of the staff, anyone wanting to stalk single foreign females would start here. I have to agree wholeheartedly with everything you mentioned in the podcast, especially regarding the police here. Japan is extremely safe, but there is a dark underbelly like anywhere else. While most crimes are low, there seems to be a lot of crimes of a sexual nature, so I can't help wondering if that has something to do with her case. I hope that her family finds answers. Thank you for all the work you do on the podcast and for the loved ones of the victims. Regards, Finton. So what a creepy thing to happen, firstly. So I emailed back Finton and said thank you. 
asked him if I could read um, the letter and he said, of course, just he'd written Mail Street, so it was Main Street. So then he wrote back just a couple of days ago and he wrote, hi, Felicity, happy new year. Of course you can correct, of course you can read out the email in the next episode, one correction, it should read Main Street, not Mail Street. I would suggest that she was grabbed in the immediate area around the guest house as the streets are too narrow and someone would have heard a struggle and it would be hard to drive away quickly. I would be more likely to believe that she accepted a lift from someone, never imagining that that person would have nefarious intentions. To explore the area around Nico, you need to take a bus unless you have a car. And as there's some time between buses, it would be tempting to accept the kindness of a stranger in this way. Of course, this is just my speculation. And then he told me which pick he would, which place he would pick for his upcoming episodes. So thank you so much, Finton, to kind of paint that picture of where she was staying. And it really changed what I was thinking already. I have sent it on to Tiffan's sister, Sybil, who I've dealt with. Um, but she has been there, so I'm sure that she probably knows that. But that's such good thinking, especially from a male perspective about what a female would do. Some people would get in a car with someone. And I think that's maybe, you know, the case. I talked about crime being underreported in Japan on that episode. And at some point we may go back to Japan on it, but because it's such a safe place, i.e. they may not report certain crimes. I don't know when that will be. So thank you so much for that, Finton. Now, as you may have seen from the title of this episode, this is a episode that is finally taking us properly to North Korea. Now, I did mention North Korea on the David Snedden episode a while back, kind of towards the end of last year, because they think that he may have been abducted by the North Koreans from his, you know, where he was hiking in China. So I kind of touched on North Korea and what it is, but in this one, obviously, we're going to North Korea, so I'll talk a lot more about it. So this is a Patreon request for a newish patron, Mary Bell, who is already one of my biggest fans. Thank you. And she requested a few places. And her first one was North Korea. And I instantly thought there's only two that I would know of. One is the Korean filmmaker, South Korean, who was abducted um, to make films by Kim Jong-il. And I thought I can't cover that because the podcast, The Dollop, if you don't know it or don't listen to it, you have to. It's been around for a long time. It is one of the most laugh out loud funny things ever. They did an episode on that particular guy who was kidnapped. And while they did a kind of funny take on it, because it was Gareth telling Dave the story, I do recommend that. And I just can't possibly do a better job than that at the moment. So that is The Dollop. And it's episode 43 that they did way back in 2014 called Polgasari. So check that out. So the next one I obviously thought I'm going to have to do is Otto Warmbier. And he had been on my list for quite a long time, but I just didn't want to touch on North Korea. I just didn't have the energy because it's so effed up. But Mary Bell requested and I said yes. I think she was kind of pushing me towards towards doing Otto's case. So Otto's story really steps into two categories I have. It's a locked up abroad case, but it's really a tourist being murdered abroad case as well. And I remember when this happened. I remember not when he was arrested, but I remember when he was returned to America. And I remember not having that much sympathy for Otto um, for what he did. I really just thought, well, you did that. You went there, you did that. And you silly boy, <laughs> like you shouldn't have done that. And you kind of led to your own downfall. But it was really only researching this that I kind of felt mad at myself for even thinking that stealing a poster could warrant what happened to Otto and how hard they are over there. I really, when I heard about this years ago, 
thought that Otto was nuts for going to North Korea. I still think anyone who joins a tour group and goes to North Korea, even if they're not going to act up or do anything wrong, are nuts. Um, but we're all different people and I'm trying my best at 33 to learn that about people. So before I get into Otto's case, I'm going to tell you a funny story. It's not very long, don't worry. So for Christmas, Lorena, who always thinks she's probably the best gift giver like ever, um, she always buys me things that she knows I would like. And she, for Christmas this year, bought me a pack of cards. And I swear, so I'm sorry if there's kids listening, but the cards are called How to Fucking Swear Around the World. And there's hundreds of cards or probably a hundred or 150 of cards for different countries and each card has a swear word on it, the translation, the language it's in um, and the offensiveness rating, so to speak. So when she gave it to me, I thought I'm going to include these in the podcast, which she thought would be awesome. So this episode's word is a Korean word. I mean, they speak Korean in North Korea and South Korea. They don't have a North Korea card. It just says South Korea. So the makers of this are ignoring the fact the country exists. So the swear word is George, J-O-J, and that means fuck. And that is in Korean offensiveness level one out of five stars. So the leaders in North Korea are, oh, Kim Jong-un is a George. I don't know how to say it. So thank you, Lorena. And there's a language, there's a new word for you to learn. Maybe don't use it if you ever go to North Korea. So let's get into the story and, you know, the tragic ending of Otto Warmbier. So a little bit about Otto Warmbier. I'm sure a lot of you know about Otto, what he looks like um, and kind of what his story was, especially Americans, because it became a very big bone of contention for a lot of people. So Otto Warmbier, he was born on December 12th, 1994, and by the age of 22, he was dead. Otto would have only turned 26 last month in December, and it's so young to have gone through all that and to already be gone. He was raised in Cincinnati, Ohio, and he was the eldest child of Cindy and Fred Warmbier, who would, I guess they never realised when they waved Otto off on that trip to North Korea, how you know, public, what kind of public figures they would end up being and how vocal they would be up until now. He was the eldest of three and his two younger siblings were Austin and Greta. Now, Otto graduated from Wyoming High School, which is in Cincinnati, um, and he was said to be popular and he was in the top two in his class, I believe. His mother, Cindy, was Jewish and Otto really, you know, respected that side of his family and took a interest in it. Otto, I'm sure if you know what he looks like, you know that he's just an all-American guy. Um, he's probably about 5'11", 6 foot. He had kind of dark, wavy hair. His family were all-American, well-off Republicans, and I think the fact that they were kind of well-off and well-heeled, you know, I don't know if a poor family would have been able to get the kind of attention that the Warmbiers got in trying to get Otto home. GQ describes Otto as follows, quote, he was also a math whiz and a gifted soccer player and swimmer. And as if it weren't enough that he was prom king, his peers also anointed him with the plastic crown at homecoming. But despite running in the popular circle, given his athletic prowess, classic good looks and unending charisma, a a classmate later wrote in a local newspaper, he still felt like everyone's friend. 
Though his family was well off, he had a passion for memorabilia investing, as he called thrift shop shopping, and sometimes dressed in secondhand Hawaiian shirts. When the time came for him to give a speech at his high school graduation, instead of orating grandiously, he admitted to struggling to find words. He took as his theme a quote from the office. I wish there was a way to know you're in the good old days, he told his peers, before you've actually left them, unquote. And I just, I loved the GQ article about Otto. It was brilliant. It actually caused a lot of controversy. Um, It was the GQ magazine article called The Untold Story of Otto Warmbier, American Hostage. And it was by a guy called Doug Bock Clark, who a lot of people disagreed with a lot of the theories that he put forward in that, but I'll be quoting that quite a lot. So once Otto went on to leave school and go to the University of Virginia, he decided to pursue a double major, which is a huge undertaking if any of you have been to uni and know how hard that is. It was in commerce and economics. He ultimately wanted to be a banker, I believe. And during his degree, he also took time to do a foreign exchange at the London School of Economics, which is one of the most kind of esteemed places for people who want to work in that field. He was doing a minor as well in global sustainability. And they kind of go into a lot in the GQ magazine how meticulous Otto was. He had a planner and he planned everything to a T, you know. And I guess they were kind of saying that to show that you can't plan for everything that happens in your life to compare Otto planning his life and everything that he was going to do and the way that he ended up. It's just, you know, chalk and cheese. So he won a finance scholarship in his junior year. And Otto was also a member of a fraternity called Theta Chi. I think that's how you say it. We don't have fraternities and sororities here. So he, like a lot of us who listen to this, or I'm guessing most of us, Otto was super interested in other cultures, other places. And in his just 21 short years, he had been to a ton of places, more than I had been to at 21. He had been to Israel as a birthright trip in relation to his mum being Jewish. He'd been to different places in Europe. He'd been to Cuba. Um, so he had an interest in places that were kind of controversial or off the beaten track. And he'd been to Ecuador as well. And Otto had been such an accomplished person you know, when I was reading that, when I knew about Otto, I didn't realise how much he'd done. And he must have been such a smart guy and such a kind of conscientious guy. And to be that accomplished at 21 is crazy. And you can only imagine what Otto would have gone on to do. And I, people say this about a lot of people, but in Otto's case in particular, I honestly think that he would have gone on to be a household name in some capacity. Now, that brings us to Otto deciding to visit a place that really no one is allowed to go to. So Otto was doing a study abroad program in Hong Kong that was due to start in early 2016. And he really wanted a winter break. He'd been working hard. He wanted to go somewhere outside of the US. And he decided to visit North Korea en route to Hong Kong to do this study abroad program over the new year period. He wanted to spend New Year's in North Korea. Now, He found a tour of North Korea and this tour group, which still exists today, is called Young Pioneer Tours. Now, they are based in China and they offer budget tours to places that you really wouldn't normally go to. Their slogan is, quote, destinations your mother would rather you stayed away from, unquote. As a copywriter, I could make that slogan way better. I just want to say that if you want to reach out. So, Warmbier's father, Fred, um, who is a lovely man, I've watched many interviews with him, 
he said that they were very, you know, kind of young pioneers had made it very clear that it was a very safe trip for US citizens. And honestly, I, I agree with Young Pioneer too. It's, I think it is if you toe the line and you don't break laws. And I'm still torn on this. I'll get into it in a little bit. But he said that Otto was, quote, curious about their culture and he wanted to meet the people of North Korea, unquote. Now, when I get into a little bit about Korea in a little bit, I think you'll see that Otto was a little bit naive about that. You're not really able as a tourist to interact with North Korean people. So the US State Department has a pretty much constant do not travel warning for North Korea for Americans to go, but that doesn't stop these tour groups operating. And there's a couple of tour groups that run it. Um, I think there's one in Australia, there's one in Canada. His parents, Cindy and Fred were not thrilled about this, obviously, but what could they do? Um, it was probably his money. He's 21 years old and all they can kind of say is, I really don't want you to go. My mum was the same when I went to Cambodia, but it's actually a really safe place and it's nowhere near like North Korea. So they've got really high ratings online, Young Pioneer Tours, and GQ um, describes their trips as, quote, being like spring break in a geopolitical hotspot. Unquote. So I went on their website and I was looking at the different tours they do. Some of the things really interested me and I went away and looked up these places, but no event like what happened to Otto has ever happened again with Young Pioneer Tours. So they do tours to Chernobyl, um, you know, to whatever the town is called, Pripyat, where, you know, the town that had to be evacuated. Um, I really wanted to do that when I lived in the UK. They had a lot of tours that did that. Um, they do tours to Saudi Arabia, to countries in West Africa that are quite dangerous, like Burkina Faso, to Cuba, to places like Turkmenistan. And they also have other countries that actually they say aren't rec recognised countries. Um, Somalia land was one of them. It's really interesting. So the tour that Otto chose to do um, to North Korea with Young Pioneer Tours cost $1,200 US dollars. That's not a budget trip for five days, four nights to me, but, um, and this was their New Year's Eve party tour. Not really a place you would think you would go to party, but anyway. Now, the group organizes your whole trip. They organize your visa. All you have to do is get yourself to Beijing, China, where you get on your flight to Pyongyang, the capital of North Korea. They give you your visa on arrival in Beijing while you're transiting. So it's all done for you. You just have to pack your stuff and promise that you will behave. So now let's get into a little bit about one of the most talked about countries on the planet, North Korea. So North Korea is a country in East Asia, I suppose, with the official name, the Democratic People's Republic of Korea. It is considered a, quote, totalitarian Stalinist dictatorship, which sounds promising. And it's really most famous for its dictators, which are the Kim family. They've got what they call a cult of personality around these three leaders of the country. And the first one was Kim Il-sung. He was the supreme leader till his death in 1994 from the time that it became a nation. So he was the first ever leader of North Korea. His son, who you may remember, Kim Jong-il, um, he was kind of a short little man with a bit of a bouffant hairdo. He died in 2011, so 94 to 2011, he was the dictator. And since then, his son, um, who is a kind of morbidly obese, always smiling, evil dictator, Kim Jong-il, has been the leader of North Korea. 
Many people believe he died months ago. There's a big conspiracy theory around it. I personally wouldn't be surprised um, because there was a theory from someone who had defected that he died and the sister is currently running it. And if you think Kim Jong-il is the worst, um, you haven't seen his sister. So just two weeks ago, to give you an idea of what life is like in North Korea, I saw a headline which really disturbed me in a newspaper and it was that the people in North Korea who have dogs as pets are being forced to give up their dogs for food during a meat shortage in the country. So just to give you an idea of what you are forced to do, and if you think that you can't be forced to do that, um, you'd be surprised what they'll do to make you do that. So people are dispensable, dogs are dispensable, pets are dispensable, and it's just sickening. The country of North Korea is bordered to the north by China and by Russia um, along a couple of rivers, and to the south is South Korea. And the border between South Korea and North Korea is called the DMZ. I'm sure you know it. It's the Korean Demilitarized Zone. And that is where Donald Trump first kind of last year, whenever it was, um, shook hands with Kim Jong-il, the first president to kind of try to make peace with them. And to his credit, they have not pulled any shit since that happened. And he's kind of playing the game. North Korea, much like South Korea, both of them claim to be the legitimate government of the whole Korean peninsula, but they just claim that nothing has been really done about it. And the capital of North Korea is Pyongyang. The capital of South Korea is Seoul. People go to South Korea for its culture. My hairdresser is from South Korea. They're super cool. North Korea, <laughs> people don't go there unless they're a little bit crazy. So the language, like I told you earlier, is Korean in North Korea. And the official religion or kind of way of life there is state atheism. So there is no religion. And to be honest, most people there probably don't know about the concept of God. Unbelievably, the North Korea is a member of the United Nations, which really does go to show what a joke the United Nations is today. Just a couple of weeks ago, North Korea was dictating to the United States about crimes against humanity, which is incredibly rich. North Korea spans around 120,540 square kilometres and the population is just over 25 million, which is kind of on par with Australia, but Australia probably two states of Australia on the southeast coast, is probably the size of North Korea. One of the scariest things about North Korea is it has the highest number of military and paramilitary people. There are currently just short of 10 million active members in a population of around 25 million, which is disturbing. Um, it's just under 50%. So the North Korean army and its military is the fourth largest one behind China, the USA and India, all places that have much larger populations and much, a much bigger area and surface. No surprise, North Korea has nuclear weapons and they regularly test them and threaten them on other countries. I'm sure most of you kind of read the news and see this week to week. Now, an overview of the landscape of North Korea. More than 80% of North Korea is mountainous. Um, there are coastal strips in the east and west, and forest covers 70% of the country. It has snow. Um, when I was doing my little Instagram facts that I had when I had Instagram, um, it said that it has the biggest ski resort, although it's 
mostly empty and no one goes there. These things are all for show. They're all like to say, look, we look after our people. It's really quite disturbing. And most people, especially in the capital Pyongyang or in most villages, because you have to ask permission to leave, um, they would never be able to visit these forests. And most trees in the capital Pyongyang have been removed. So it is just a concrete jungle without the trees. As I said, the current leader is Kim Jong-un. This man is, I think, in his mid to late 30s, he is morbidly obese. And once he's, while his country starves to death and literally eats grass off the ground, he lives in luxury and he imports his favourite cheeses from France for himself, which is one of the theories as to why he's dead. I'm not sure. As I said, his father was Kim Jong-il and his grandfather was Kim Il-sung, the founder of North Korea. And people are pretty much forced, even if you don't believe it, although you're raised from a young age to be indoctrinated, to believe that these three men are essentially the greatest things on earth. And they're praised. And I'm sure a lot of you remember when Kim Jong-il died and the masses of people in Pyongyang pretending to cry, but there were no tears. It's It's just so deeply disturbing that I can't fucking believe that there are people out there who would ever identify as communists or Marxists or socialists. I just, these people I see who say that are usually 21 university students where they're indoctrinated to believe that in the Marxist ideology and come on, man, I, I, come on, Maya, did I just quote Joe Biden? I would never mean to do that, but come on, man, like broaden your horizons because who knows, maybe Otto identified as a socialist, but I'm sure he didn't when he ended up living permanently in North Korea. But anyway, so a little bit about the history of North Korea and how to how it came to be its own nation. So Korea was its own country up until 1910, but then the Japanese annexed the whole of Korea. So they made it part a territory of Japan, and they held on to that till 1945, which was the final year of the war. During this whole time, Korean guerrilla groups fought the Japanese forces and tried to kind of force them out. One of these Korean guerrilla leaders was Kim Il-sung, who would go on to be the first dictator and founder of the new country of North Korea, which he ruled from the country's establishment in 1948 until his death in 1994. So it was after the war that Korea was split into two zones. There was the North Um, which the Soviet Union occupied, and the USA occupied the South. This is a very simplistic way of just explaining it, but it's the easiest way. So there were plans between 1945 and 1948 to reunify Korea into one country, but ultimately separate Korean governments were formed and kind of once that happens, there's no way of peddling back. So North Korea became the Democratic People's Republic of Korea and the South is capitalist and that's the Republic of Korea. Which one would you rather be in when they made their own two governments? I just feel so much for the people who had no choice in this, people who were capitalists, who ran their own businesses, who were kind of annexed into the North. I I just, my heart goes out to the people who live there. So North Korea attempted an invasion into South Korea, and this kicked off the Korean War in 1950, which lasted until 1953. So a lot of men, especially in the United States, has come back just a few years from the Second World War. And then, 
you know, there's another kind of small war, um, which men then went back to, then the Vietnam War and so forth. Ultimately, in 1953, a ceasefire was agreed to, but no treaty was ever signed. So technically, since 1953, the two countries have kind of been in a Cold War with each other. North Korea is ranked in the top three of the most corrupt countries on earth, and there's no argument that the country is the most secretive on earth. No other country exists like North Korea exists. Living in North Korea is a miserable existence. In case you don't know what a communist is or what communism is and thinks that this is a good way to go, communism means the state is God. If you believe in God, sorry, you're a communist. There is no religion. You want to move somewhere? No, there's no freedom of movement. There's no legal recourse to leave. You're not going on a holiday anywhere. As with most communist countries, people are permanently hungry or starving to death. 60% of North Koreans live below the poverty line. And from 1994 to 1998, they had a famine there that killed between a quarter and half a million people from starvation. And when did the rest of the world ever hear about that? The population continues to suffer malnutrition. Now, how do we know this? If you're not allowed to take photos, you're not allowed to report, you're not allowed to go there as a journalist, well... People do defect a lot from North Korea. They're, you know, heroes and they're able to tell people what goes on there. They literally have signs where there is grass in North Korea on the grass that says, please do not eat the grass. That's how hungry people are. Farms are collectivised much like they were, you know, under Stalin. Um, And businesses are not yours. So if you own a small business, tough shit, they belong to the state and they decide what happens with your business. What people do is monitored 24-7. It is like living in Eastern Europe, you know, back in the day, before 1989, I suppose. They have zero access to the internet there. So they're not able to know that Facebook exists, Twitter, Instagram, any of these things. They're not able to go on social media and vent to their friends. There is zero access to the internet. Instead, what they have is an internal North Korean intranet called Kwangmyong, um, and there are around a thousand to five and a half thousand websites, and that's it. And most of the information that you get is decided by the state. So they twist history, and they have these crazy stories about how Kim Jong Un, Kim Jong Il, came to be. That he was born, you know, all these rainbows appeared and shit. He was actually born from memory from the dollop in a you know Japanese internment camp or something like that. So they're indoctrinated to believe all this bullshit. There is no Wi-Fi. The intranet, um, the North Korean intranet, and the few sites that are on there is all that you're allowed to believe. Now, to give people the facade that this is a democracy, um, there are elections, but these are sham elections. So essentially, they're rigged like a lot of places like Venezuela. They're rigged so that there's no change. It looks like people voted and people continue to vote in the Kim family. So North Koreans, when you think about it, think about what your favorite things are, your favorite show, your favorite movie, your favorite website, your favorite social media app, you know, your favorite blogs. These people have no idea that those things exist. They probably wouldn't even know what a blog is. If you're religious, they have no rec- no knowledge of the Bible. They have no idea that it exists or the concept of God exists. But I probably believe that they probably have their own concept of that. If they're suffering from depression, that's really not you know, kind of recognised or anything like that. And people ultimately do end up killing themselves because how it is there. Now, people who have escaped have said that the monthly wage in North Korea is around four US dollars. And 
when you think of all that, you realise just how kind of fucked and voyeuristic it is for tourists to go there. And I still stand by that. It's like going to a zoo and watching caged animals. You're allowed to leave and you're allowed to board your flight at the end of that, like Otto was going to. But these people, you know, just watch you go and probably wonder who you are and probably think you are the enemy because of what they've been indoctrinated with. Now, the United Nations in 2014 did an inquiry into the human rights abuses in North Korea, and their conclusion was that, quote, the gravity, scale and nature of these violations reveal a state that does not have any parallel in the contemporary world, unquote. When you visit North Korea as a tourist, you're not allowed to use the local currency. That's what's there to differentiate you as a tourist so people know. In local shops, foreigners can use kind of euros and international ones, even US dollars, which happens in a lot of countries. But if a local North Korean stands outside the shop, which you wouldn't often see, and asks them, can you please pick me up something, they'll find out and you're not allowed to do that. Foreigners are not even allowed to enter, you know, even a supermarket or anything like that. So this kind of, in a funny way, reminds me of the movie The Interview and how there was that, they put, it's funny and it's a comedy, but they put that fake fat kid outside the shop and they had the cardboard cutouts of food inside to think that these people were well off when that's not the case. Universities and schools in North Korea only teach their version of history where they pretty much continue to indoctrinate people. These teachers and lecturers and professors have a gun to their head anyway to do it, but they indoctrinate their students to believe that the Western world is evil, um, the three Kims are the only form of God, really, in North Korea, and that the outside world wants to kill you, essentially. Citizens are required to hold up the three Kims as gods, and as I said earlier, they have to grieve on command. Everywhere you go in North Korea, there is state propaganda everywhere, and you will see that in Otto's case coming up. There is a no-fly zone permanently over North Korea, unless, of course, you're on an organised tour group, or in the case of the doctors who I've watched interviews with bringing Otto home from North Korea to America, you have to give be given clearance to do that. Um, and there's a lot of rules that I'll get into in part two about that. North Korea has a state-run Korean central news agency, which everyone only gets their news from. So you are told what you're told, what you're allowed to believe. And there's no... You're not allowed to think for yourself. Um, and that's kind of what worries me, or more than worries me, um, about what's happening to the rest of the world and what's happening in 2021. So I'm going to give you a, new, a few new facts, a few more facts about North Korea, um, a few rules, some of them ridiculous, most of them. Um, so you're, it's kind of, in regards to drinking in North Korea, um, there is a high rate of alcoholism, which you find in these places that are oppressed. Um, smoking is big in North Korea, but they do have set bars, but there's no clubs or anything in North Korea. There are two tourist hotels in North Korea, one of which Otto stayed in, which I'll get into in a little bit. If you want a hot shower in North Korea, tough shit. There is no hot water in North Korea. There is no central heating. You have a wood furnace and you have to pretty much heat tiny, pissy amounts of water there to give yourself a bath once in a while. I'm sure people aren't doing it every day. Meanwhile, Kim Jong-un, I'm sure, has a shower and I'm sure has hot water. Electricity is often shut off um, with no explanation in North Korea. If you 
if your family or your friends live in another village um, outside of Pyongyang or you live rurally and they live in another village, you have to ask permission from the government to visit your family members in another village, which sounds very familiar. Um, You cannot buy a car in North Korea. There's very little kind of demand for cars in North Korea. Um, People wouldn't be able to afford it anyway. It would take them a lifetime to save it. And you cannot buy a home. This is what happens in communism. These kind of young kids who are indoctrinated into this, I don't think they realise these basic facts about it. Religious texts are illegal and if a tourist brings one in, you'll probably be held in prison for a long time. The North Korean peninsula is sitting on a minefield of, you know, natural minerals. Um, And selected North Koreans can travel to other countries, mainly Russia and China. But the reason behind this has to be like to earn money, which kind of goes against their anti-capitalist stance, doesn't it? Um, I'm sure you remember in the Sochi Olympics, I think, when the North Korean cheerleaders, it was all very creepy, went to Russia and they finally sent North Korea to the Winter Olympics. Um, And I'm sure that, you know, had something to do with money. It's not only cars in North Korea that have number plates or license plates, as people in other parts of the world call it. Bikes have license plates as well. And this is a form of tracking people's movements all the time. You cannot wear blue jeans in North Korea. You can only wear black jeans. And I couldn't find the answer to why, but it's probably a little bit too vibrant and fun. Once the state newspapers for the day are out of date and the new day begins, um, they are destroyed as the North Korean kind of government constantly changes their history. So they don't want any evidence for people to say, hey, that's not how we used to do it. It's just cont- continually being mind fucked living there. If you happen to have a mobile phone in North Korea, you cannot call a place outside of North Korea. It's completely blocked. Um, or in the instance of if Otto or a foreigner had met a local, that local could not call the foreigner. Um, It's blocked to foreigners in North Korea. Um, I believe that when you go there, you're given your own North Korean SIM card. So North Korea is the only place in the world now that doesn't have Coca-Cola. Cuba and North Korea didn't, but even Cuba does now. They kind of have their own in regards to food, have traditional Korean food. I don't see a whole lot of hamburgers or anything of people who have been there. When you're there as a tourist, you have to ask permission to take any photos and you cannot take photos of poor people because you could take them back and they don't want it to get out that people are starving to death there. There are no condoms in North Korea. So I'm guessing if you don't want to contribute to the starvation of your family and have more children, you either just don't have sex or you risk it. And maybe that's why people are having more kids, I don't know. But ladies, don't go to North Korea if you don't want access to tampons or pads because there is no such thing in North Korea. Women have to use fabric like the olden days. I put this thing on Insta a while back and it shocked a lot of people. There's photos of it, but there are only 16 haircuts to choose from per gender. Most women go for chin-length bobs now because one time Kim Jong-un said that that was his favourite female hairstyle. All TV shows in North Korea are state-run and somehow the storyline involves the Kim family. Kim Jong-il, if you listen to the Dollop episode on Polgasari, he was obsessed with cinema. He was obsessed with American cinema. It's amazing that regular people there can't get hold of these movies and TV shows, but Kim Jong-il had something like 25,000 like 
cassette tapes, like VHS, um, in his collection when he died and they went through all of it. He was obsessed with all these old Hollywood actresses like, you know, Elizabeth Taylor and stuff like that. I don't think any other North Korean would know that someone like Elizabeth Taylor even exists or that movies in that capacity that aren't driven by a government or political narrative even exist. But ultimately he was obsessed with cinema and he had arrested or abducted people over the course of his dictatorship from other countries who were filmmakers to try to make the best North Korean films. And ultimately, I won't ruin it for you, but he abducted a really famous North um, South Korean filmmaker um, and his wife. And they were kept there for, I think, about seven years. And this filmmaker ended up making this movie, Polgasari, which is considered, you know, one of the most favourite movies. And it's actually available outside of North Korea. Like, I've got a lot of friends who have seen it because it actually was premiered at film festivals around the world. It's really crazy. So despite being taught and indoctrinated their entire lives that the entire outside world is evil and that they're out to get you, every year over a 1,000 people escape from North Korea. These people are incredible because they're risking their entire family and all their friends being murdered or imprisoned if they, you know, are found out. They, you know, find ways to cross over into China and South Korea and, you know, Once that happens, they're really not sent back. It must be a crazy world for them to walk into. There's this viral video um, on YouTube of a North Korean escaping North Korea, and it's caught kind of on the South Korean side, the footage, and he's basically driving a car like crazy to get out of there with all these guards and shit chasing him. You should go watch it. And he he gets through. And one of the comments, well, the top comment on the video that I still remember was that someone wrote, this guy doesn't know what's on the other side. His whole life he's been told that everything is evil on the other side and you're protected here. But he knows that it's better than what's happening here in North Korea. And that's that's exactly right. And these people, you know, it's an incredible thing to educate yourself enough even though your whole life they've told you the opposite, to know that it must be better outside of here than in here. I just find that an incredible thing, how intelligent some people are and able to kind of rationalise that and going against everything they've ever been taught. So if you wanted to know who kind of allies with North Korea, who gives them the stuff that they need, it's mostly Russia and China. Um, And as I said, they kind of have propaganda everywhere. And that's, I'll be getting into that when I talk about Otto Warmbier um, and his unfortunate action that he did. Um, They have pictures of North Korean missiles blowing up the White House and things like that. That's kind of how people are taught, which is quite incredible that people escape and want to go to America. I think the human mind is able to rationalise that. I don't know. It's just amazing. So, Outside Pyongyang, um, in the rural villages and the mountains um, of North Korea, there are concentration camps for dissidents of the government. Um, there are rural, you know, starving families that are essentially probably eating each other and their pets. Um, so if you're wondering what there is to look forward to in life in North Korea every day you wake up and probably wish you were dead, I'll give you a few things that go on there. So they've got Occasionally, they've got festivals. They've got the Spring Friendship Art Festival. This is held every April in the country. And this is a festival that is designed to show the people of the world um, love, 
like the North Koreans themselves, love and respect of the country's leader. So nothing can be non-political in North Korea. There's books in North Korea, but they're all North Korean books and they're all political. There's music, but it's all political themed or revolutionary themed. North Korea is really famous for what it calls its mass games. Now, when I first read about this, I honestly thought it would be like a Hunger Games thing. Um, but no, it's basically these annual celebrations of the Kim's birthdays. Um, and they kind of praise Kim Il-sung, Kim Jong-il and Kim Jong-un. Um, they kind of do dances and gymnastics and, you know poetry readings and things like that. Um, but I'm sure behind all of the things involved in it, there's some political agenda. In February 2008, the New York Philharmonic Orchestra was the first international orchestra allowed to perform in North Korea, but they performed for an invited audience, which I presume is Kim Jong-un, um, Kim Jong-il and all of their cronies. So it's really not for everyone. I, you'd have, I think you'd have to have so many balls to be part of that orchestra and to be like, all right, I'll go. Like, I'd be like, no, I'm fine. I hope Andre Rio doesn't go and perform there. That'd be really weird. Because my mum's got all these DVDs and I can't imagine her watching Andre Rio live in Pyongyang. But anyway. So if you're wondering about tourists being arrested before we get into Otto's story, many tourists have been arrested. Um, their, their stories are available on the internet. Many of their charges have been related to entering North Korea illegally, which seems to be quite common. Um, you kind of, I don't think you could not know um, because there's guards around it um, related to espionage or what North Korea calls quote unquote hostile acts. Ultimately, most of them are let out, some of them within nine days, some of them over 1500 days. Some are still in there and it says detained indefinitely. And weirdly, I find that most of their sentences are around what Otto got, which is 15 years of hard labour, which I think they sentence you to that because they know that you'll never survive 15 years of hard labour. At the moment, there are Americans, Australians, Canadians and Koreans um, listed on the people who have been arrested by North Korea. Some of them have been allowed out. So I'm going to give you a few of their quick stories. So in 2014, there was an American called Matthew Todd Miller who was detained in North Korea and sentenced to six years of forced labour in 2014. They said that his charge was, quote, acts hostile to the DPRK while entering under the guise of a tourist, unquote. Now, his story is really strange. I don't really understand what he was getting at. He basically flew in, ripped up his visa at the airport and said that he was claiming asylum there. Really strange. Um... Ultimately, he was released after eight months. Now, if you consider what he did, and in a little bit, I'll get into what Otto did. Half of what these people did is probably way worse than what Otto did. So I just can't understand what ultimately happened to Otto. Another man who was released at the same time as Matthew Miller was a guy called Kenneth Bay. He's a Korean-American evangelical Christian missionary. We've been here before on this podcast. He was convicted by North Korea on charges of plotting to overthrow the North Korean government um, and things to do with his kind of Christianity when you're not allowed to have that. He got the same as Otto in 2013. He was sentenced to 15 years of imprisonment, but he was released in 2014. So some people get out. I think it's to do with, you know, public pressure and things like that. Australian Alex Sigley was charged with espionage. He was arrested while studying in Pyongyang, these are all in the last 10 years. He negotiated through the Swedish embassy in North Korea, which I find crazy that they do have embassies there. And he was released after nine days, which is crazy. 
Canadian Hyeon Su Lim was released in 2017 after 920 days in detention for, quote, harming the dignity of the supreme leadership, trying to use religion to destroy the North Korean system, unquote. There's a man called Merrill Newman. He's an American and he had served during the Korean War. I really want to find out more about kind of his case. I find it really interesting. He was held for 42 days. Basically, he joined a tour that went to North Korea. And while there, he was arrested on charges related to his service in the Korean War, which is nuts. He was ultimately let go. South Korean Kim Jong Kim Jong-wook is still in detention after over 2,600 days for going to Pyongyang and doing Christian missionary work. Similarly, American Jeffrey Fell was arrested a few years ago on charges related to acting, quote, contrary to the purpose of tourism. What did he do? He left a Bible at a nightclub, which are two things I don't think I'd ever thought I'd say together. But he was trying to kind of spread the word that there is this thing called the Bible outside of there. He was held in detention for 170 days before being released. You may remember two American journalists. One was Laura Ling. She's the sister of journalist Lisa Ling. She was detained with another journalist called Yuna Lee in 2009 for 140 days. Their crime was illegally crossing with their team into North Korea. I think they're I remember it really well. I was studying journalism at the time. I think their excuse was that they didn't know. Um, ultimately, they got a lot of press. And as a result of that, they were let out because Bill Clinton ultimately got them out. American Kim Dong-chul was held for 952 days in North Korea on charges of espionage before being let go. And finally, another one that I picked out was South Korean Ko Hyun chol he was held for 1,600 days in North Korea on charges of abducting orphans, and I could not find anything else about that, but I presume it was to, I don't know, I just presume it was to get them out of North Korea. So that's all a long time, some of them, you know, for nine years and things like that, but they did last that long, and Otto wasn't held for very long before what happened to him happened, and by reading those, I just wonder if there was something about Otto that they just didn't like there. So if you don't know what I'm talking about, let's get into Otto's ill-fated time in North Korea. So that brings us to Otto's ill-fated trip to North Korea. So on December 19th, 2015, Otto's tour group met up in Beijing to board the old Soviet jet that would fly them to Pyongyang. There's no kind of commercial airline that goes there, so other things have to be arranged. This was to kickstart their five-day tour, and it was winter when they arrived in Pyongyang, the capital. So, according to GQ, quote, in North Korea's capital, border police confiscated cameras and flicked through each file on smartphones to make sure no outsider was smuggling in subversive materials. Then Otto stepped through passport control and just like that, left the free world, unquote. So basically, when you fly in, they go through all your stuff. I presume they don't have a whole lot to do, border police, considering they're policing an airport that not many people come from, come into or go from. Um, they go, they check to see if you've got cameras, which you're not allowed to take. They then confiscate any that you've got. I'm sure you can pick it back up at the airport when you're leaving. They go through every file on your smartphone, which is crazy. It must mean photos, things like that. It must take a long time. Um, they must, they'd look at my camera reel and go, what the fuck is this chick doing? So then you're allowed to step foot into Pyongyang. So they were staying at a hotel, which is called the Yanggakto International Hotel. It's one of those two hotels I told you about that tourists are allowed to stay in. And people call it 
the Alcatraz of fun. So basically, this is where they put tourists. I believe it's to keep them kind of out of the city a little bit so that they don't wander, um, to kind of keep them entertained so they're not particularly interested in seeing parts of North Korea. But what's the point of going on a trip if you're not going to explore the city? According to GQ, quote, to keep foreigners entertained, the 47-storey tower is furnished with five restaurants, one of which revolves a bar, a sauna, a massage parlour and its own bowling alley, unquote. So, yeah, a lot to keep you entertained and out of trouble. Initially, the tour went off without a hitch. Otto was rooming in his hotel room with a British guy who was in his 40s called Danny Grattan, who's spoken a fair bit about Otto because he's the last person who spoke to him. There were Canadians, um, Australians, Europeans, and at least one other American on this tour. And the, the tour started, they visited these giant bronze statues they have in Pyongyang of the Kims um, and locals actually just pray in front of the statues and praise these people. And the whole group, according to GQ, found it really bizarre. You know, it feels like another world. They then were taken to tour an old US spy ship. Now, in 1968, North Korea had, you know, seized this ship um, and there were 82 American sailors on board. They were taken in by North Koreans. They were beaten and starved for 11 months before finally being released. Now, during this tour, the USA is referred to the tour guide as, quote-unquote, the imperial enemy. And Danny Grattan, his roommate, said that when they left the ship, Otto seemed, quote, a little bit shocked, unquote. So as a joke, the tour group started nicknaming Otto the imperial enemy as a joke. So they were like, do you want to drink imperial enemy and things like that? And I don't think they would realise just how close to home <laughs> calling him that as a joke would be. And I don't think Otto, when he was touring that ship, would ever know that he would follow in the footsteps of those 82 American soldiers, but he would never return to the United States. So Otto, according to the people who were on the tour, was really fun. There's photos of him throwing snowballs with North Korean children, smiling with his tour group. He got along with all of them. And on New Year's Eve, they went to Pyongyang's Kim Il-sung Square, which is that huge square well, you've probably seen them all forcing themselves to grieve and trying to force themselves to cry when one of them dies. And that square is named after Kim Il-sung, who was the founder of North Korea. Now, there is a bar where tourists can drink alcohol in North Korea, and they were drinking there and kind of partying and dancing. Um, I believe there's a video of it because of this documentary from DW Documentaries that I watched, which is brilliant, and I'll talk more about in part two. So then after they were done there, they arrived back at their hotel. Later reports would say that all of them were really drunk, but Danny Grattan said nobody was. Nobody was really off their head, and I think that's probably a pretty smart thing to do if you're in a place like that. Upon arriving back to the hotel, some of the people on the tour went to the hotel bar to keep drinking, some went to the bowling alley, which is in the hotel, and it was at that point where they lost Otto for around two hours and no one really knew where he went or really cared to look. At just before 2am, and you can watch this CCTV footage, Otto makes a decision that would ultimately cost him his life. Early in the morning of New Year's Day 2016, Otto, you can see him in a hallway, he enters a staff-only floor of the hotel. He had tried to steal a propaganda photo that was on the wall. And the video basically shows him taking it off the wall, placing it against the wall. And later on, he would say that he realised it was too heavy to take. But it was clear that Otto was going to 
steal this to take home, you know, as a souvenir of this trip in this crazy place that they'd went to. Fox News would later say in an article that I was reading that he it wasn't him and that he was um, arrested kind of when he shouldn't have been. And I really don't think this is the case. This is Otto and he is doing this. And I think that's why a lot of people weren't particularly sympathetic when this happened to him. So this poster, which was in Korean, stated, quote, let's arm ourselves strongly with Kim Jong-il's patriotism, unquote. Now, this is a big crime in North Korea to steal or damage items with the name of any of the Kim family. It's considered a serious crime that can fight. You can be sentenced ultimately to years and years of hard labor, which Otto ultimately would be. So Danny Grattan ultimately returned to his hotel room at 4.30am and when he got there, Otto was by then asleep in bed. Now, the one question that I cannot find is that what happened to the the poster and I believe the poster was left behind by Otto. I think he realised it was too heavy and he couldn't have rolled it up, put in his suitcase. I think alcohol must have been involved because I I just don't think a smart guy like Otto would do something like this, knowing what the ramifications would be. You let your guard down when you drink alcohol and you make crazy kind of decisions. And I think this was one of them. Um, But then again, no one else was doing it. And I think that Otto, being interested in all these crazy places, wanted, uh, he just innocently wanted to take a souvenir home that you couldn't find anywhere else. And that, you know, to show, hey, this is what they've got up everywhere. But he was already told that story about the spies on the ship and everywhere you go, there's all these rules and stuff. I just find it crazy that Otto kind of did what he did. After this, Otto and his tour group got up super early the following day on January 2nd to go to Pyongyang Airport and fly out. The following morning, Otto and his tour group arrived at Pyongyang International Airport. They were hungover and tired was quite early on January 2nd, 2016. Danny Grattan, Otto's roommate on the tour, um, witnessed the arrest of Otto. Basically, when they were lining up to at customs to leave, he said, quote, no words were spoken. Two guards just came over and simply tapped Otto on the shoulder and led him away. I just said kind of quite nervously, well, that's the last we'll see of you. There's a great irony in those words. That was it. That was the last physical time I saw Otto ever. Otto didn't resist. He didn't look scared. He sort of half smiled, unquote. And that's just such a powerful statement. I think if anyone who's watched Locked Up Abroad or Banged Up Abroad kind of knows that moment where people get arrested on that show at the airport and it's it's just such a terrifying thing. You almost root for the person who's <laughs> carrying the drugs to get through because what happens when they take you away, who knows? But in North Korea... It's doubly so, you know, they're so secretive and you, no one was ever able to, after that moment to access Otto, you don't get the Red Cross or these human rights groups able to visit you, you know, that's it. So basically when the group's plane was about to leave and everyone was on board and probably wondering, is Otto going to get on this flight? An official came on board and announced, quote, Otto is very sick and has been taken to the hospital, unquote. And I think for Danny Grattan and the tour mates who had just been with him and knew that there was nothing wrong with him, that would have been such a terrifying moment, flying, you know, taxing and flying off and leaving him behind. It's knowing that he wasn't sick and this is the start of something really bad. So after that, some media reports said that Warmbier spoke by phone to a young pioneer tour group 
um, to a guide regarding his arrest, but this was denied by Young Pioneer Tours, which I'll read to you in a minute. They basically said that none of the employees ever was able to talk to Otto again after that. The others left the country without incident, leaving Otto behind. I'm sure they were talking about it that entire flight. So I'm going to read you the Young Pioneers to a statement that is still on their website today, and there's a whole page dedicated to Otto Warmbier. Quote, on January 2nd, one of our customers, Otto Warmbier, was detained at Pyongyang Airport. He was detained as the last person to go through customs. Our guide was informed by an airport official that he had been taken to the hospital. Our guide attempted to go back to see him but was unable to as she had been ushered through immigration by airport staff. We were able to get a message through to our group who were taking the train out on the same day that Otto was still in Pyongyang. YPT CEO Gareth Johnson remained in the country alone to try to find out what the situation was as we felt this is the right thing to do. It was during this time that it was discovered that there had been an incident. Gareth remained in Pyongyang for a few days and when it became apparent that nothing would be achieved in the country, he returned to China. For many reasons, most specifically the interests of Otto, his family and ensuring a speedy return home, we are extremely limited with regards to what we were able to say about the matter. We contacted Otto's family to let them know what the situation was. We then reached out to the Embassy of Sweden, who look after American consular interests in North Korea, and on the same day were also in contact with the US Department of State. From then until now, we have worked closely with this family, the Embassy and the Department of State about how to proceed with things. People have asked or questioned why we have not until now made this public in the interests of guest security or openness. Our primary concern throughout this has been to follow the instructions laid down to us by relevant agencies and to do what was in the best interests of Otto and his family. During eight, year, eight years running tours into the country and many other countries, this is the first incident of its kind to ever occur on one of our trips. Whilst the DPRK may be unique and at times controversial destination, all guests are warned about the dangers of the country and we feel that our record of one detainment from 7,000 people in eight years supports this. As of now, we were continuing to run tours as normal, unquote. And I think in that statement, in the final part, they, they really kind of made it clear that Otto had done something wrong. And I can't fault them on that. He had done something wrong. They had told this stuff. They're given all the information. They, they know the rules of the country. They know how serious doing something like that is. If you did that in any other country, people would laugh it off as if you'd be arrested. <laughs> but North Korea, it's a whole other, it's a whole other game. And yeah, I just, I can't fault the tour group or anything like that. And at least it was just Otto that was arrested. And I know that sounds terrible, but they could have taken the whole group in and you'd never know what happened to them for being, you know, friendly with him or thinking, you know, that they knew something. And as I said, I saw Fox News saying that Otto was falsely arrested. And that's just why I want to say that. So once he was taken through these double doors at the airport, um, other than on the TV, a couple of times, um, no one ever saw Otto again. So North Korea's state-run Korean Central News Agency, which is basically a propaganda arm of the government, initially they said that Otto had been detained for, quote, a hostile act against the state. They didn't say anything else. And that's usually what they say when people are arrested who aren't from North Korea. From then on, it was a long six weeks for Otto's family, not knowing where he was, what he had done, why he had been taken away. Um, and other than the fact that the Young Pioneer Tours spokeswoman had said there had been an incident, so that's all they could kind of fathom. Um, so imagine you have a child, and I'm not a mother, so I know a lot of you are, are great mothers, um, just off the top of my head, um, Stacey. Tony, Lainey, um, all of you guys, 
you would know better than me. Imagine not knowing where your child is for six weeks and that just... Yeah. It, losing an, losing a pet when it runs away, you can hardly sleep and you feel sick. Imagine, even though he's a grown man, Otto, you not knowing where he is for the whole six weeks and knowing the track record of this country. That's where I'm going to leave you guys for part one of the Otto Warmbier story. Part two will be out on the weekend, so in a few days. I've dropped this a bit early because I know a lot of you guys in the Northern Hemisphere are struggling at the moment. The tables have turned and down here... We've kind of been let out of our cages for a little bit. So anything I can do to keep you guys occupied. So yeah, I'll talk to you then. Bye.